Jesus, learning patience. Good? Okay. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to come together as your children to learn your word, your grace, and your truth. We're very grateful, Father, for your mercy toward us, your gentleness, and your patience. We ask that you bless us this evening, help us concentrate on your word, and teach us through your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, the Gospel, Salvation and Sanctification, Part 105. One of the rare privileges we have in this life, if we choose to follow the Lord, is to be a witness to people and to angels by going through suffering for his namesake. To be abused or ridiculed or even beaten or killed, which does happen in this world, for the name of Christ, that's something of immense eternal value in heaven. And when we keep the faith, even rejoicing in being persecuted for Christ's name, we're witnesses of his grace and power in the lives of sinners. And big picture, that's really why we're here, to bring God glory in the devil's world through faith, by grace. So regarding being sanctified, we've been predestined to suffer for his namesake. And we've been predestined to be sanctified once saved. And so we know that we suffer to be sanctified. This came out on Sunday. It's part of our calling. And this is a necessary part of the process of sanctification and a privilege for us from the divine point of view. So we've been predestined to go through certain things in our lives, all of which in His gentleness He will make sure we can handle first. God promises. In His gentleness, He's so gentle. I mean, how gentle is He with you? Just think of the times you really deserve something bad. And you got very little or none. And that is a picture of his grace and his gentleness. So he's not going to allow you to go through something, as Scripture tells us, unless he gives you the substance first. And he's going to treat you gently, as long as you're in his plan. If you're rebelling, that's one thing. That's another thing. You know, then get ready for something you might not really be ready for to handle. But if you are humble and you're following God, even though you make mistakes along the way, if your heart is right with God, He is gentle. And He's not going to put you through anything you can't bear. So the trials He asks us to go through, these are all good things. In the big picture, God is taking us to a supernatural place that is the sanctified life. And you'll be at a place uh, at times in your life, and hopefully especially toward the end of your life, where you, you are amazed maybe that you're there. That you never would have imagined you'd be able to handle or think this way or trust God through a certain situation. But God's doing it. As long as you stay humble, He's doing it. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. And here we're going to read about how we are destined to suffer as part of sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 3.1 Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. So Paul is encouraging them. Why are you disturbed? 
you shouldn't be disturbed. You know we've been destined for afflictions in the devil's world following our Lord and Savior, who was crucified. If he was crucified in this devil's world, we're going to have some repercussions if we follow him. So don't be disturbed. In verse 4, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And one of the temptations is to lose faith when trials come up because you're disturbed or you let them surprise you. And you should never let things surprise you. Nothing in the devil's world should surprise us. And granted, we might be caught off guard, especially if something traumatic happens in our life. That's, that's understandable. But to be surprised at fiery ordeals, as 1 Peter 4 talks about, Peter's like, Don't, why are you surprised at fiery ordeals? We're in the devil's world. So be accepting and be expecting these things because we have been destined for this in verse 3. So regarding sanctification... Here's our main definition, to be made holy, to be set apart for God's purposes, to be consecrated in time unto God's will. So we've seen this for a while now, but think about it this way on the board. Sanctification is not possible in time without circumstances that cause us to lean on God. It's not possible. And when I say lean on God, I mean really lean on God, as if you're falling over and someone's catching you. God wants us to get to that point. And sanctification is not going to happen without that type of reliance on Him. And that type of reliance on Him is not going to happen without real, legitimate trials and sufferings at times. We're not called to suffer all the time. Thank God He gives us reprieves. He gives us blessings. He gives us calm times in our lives. But at times, He wants us to go through the fire. All for sanctification. All for His glory. Which we can only do in this life. So again, sanctification is not possible in time without circumstances that cause us to lean on God. How can we be set apart for God's purposes if we're allowed to stay living for our own purposes? How are we going to be separated from the world in that supernatural way if we're allowed to keep living for our own purposes? Now we can get there again one of two ways. In humility, by obedience to the word, or rebelling, and God will take us the hard way. But he's like, will you just submit and admit you're not here for your own purposes? And the more you do that, the more you're going to have God's peace despite the trials. If nothing interrupts us and wakes us up, many of us would be lost or at least waste our lives away without any eternal value. But nothing wakes us up quite like suffering. Nothing makes us as aware of our pure need for God's help than suffering. Pure need. Pure falling on your face as a child kind of a need. We need suffering. It's actually our friend, whether we'd like to admit it or not. So to suffer undeservedly for Christ's name, what an honor and privilege that really is in the big picture after what he suffered on the cross for us, for our salvation. As the Spirit gave us on Sunday, Jesus prophesied to his disciples about future tribulations stating that such suffering leads to testimony. So just like we saw Paul say in 1 Thessalonians, you know, don't be disturbed. We were expecting this. We are destined for this. Jesus prophesied in Luke 21, verse 10. Go to Luke 21, 10. We saw this wonderful passage on Sunday. Jesus warned his disciples. In other words, don't be surprised. Don't be disturbed. These future tribulations are going to come. 
and they're going to lead to an opportunity for your testimony where without the suffering, without suffering for my name, you would not get to speak before governors and kings and high priests that are lost. How else are you going to get that kind of a platform unless you suffer unjustly? There might be another way, and there could be, but this is one way Jesus said that God will use. So look at verse 10. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, and in various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. And it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. On the board, sanctification is the result of a faith being put into action. Testing, therefore, is designed by God as an opportunity to reveal your God-given abilities by grace through faith. This goes for salvation and sanctification, and you are a witness. We saw this on Sunday in Acts 10, 34 through 43, 1 Timothy 6, 12, and Hebrews 12, 1, for example. But as came out on Sunday, you can't go into this opportunity with human strength. Notice the point on the board says, reveal your God-given abilities by grace through faith. That's what trials are designed to do. So we can't go at it with human strength and willpower, saying, I'm going to do it. We have to submit and, and, and surrender and ask God for the strength and the faith. We can only humble ourselves in faith if we want to be victorious in the individual trials we go through. And by faith, every battle is actually the Lord's battle. If it's by faith. Because by faith, you hand it over to Him. Whenever you have faith and trust God in a trial, you're handing it over to Him. And guess what? He's already won. If you hand it over to Him, you can't fail and you can't lose. You might have to go through a trial for a certain period of time, but you can't lose, and you'll even have peace in the middle of the unfairness. So continuing on in Luke 21, verse 14. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, and relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. By the way, this happens in Muslim countries, for example, and even Hindu countries sometimes. They put their own kids to death if they really believe in that religion that they're in. Interesting God, huh? And you'll be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. What a beautiful picture of sanctification. Again on the board, sanctification is the result of a faith being put into action. Testing, therefore, is designed by God as an opportunity to reveal your God-given abilities by grace through faith. And this goes for salvation and sanctification. You are a witness. As in Luke 21, 13, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Go to 1 Timothy 6.12, just to review one of these passages. 1 Timothy 6.12. It says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Listen, for you to have that opportunity, you're going to have to have a trial for Christ's name. More often than not, that's the way it's going to happen. You're going to be in a situation, and you're going to have the opportunity to speak up and defend his name 
in front of many witnesses who might even be hostile. But that's all right. You might even turn them. So on the board, regarding being a witness, throughout our lives, we can only hope we will be an example to others, an example of undying faith and trust in our Lord. I don't know about you, but that's something I, I pray about and I kind of dream about. You know how you might picture certain things happening in your life at one point or you, you picture going through a certain trial someone else is going through and you say, I hope I have the faith in that situation to bring maximum glory to God. And really that's you know, a good thing to dream about, if you want to use that word, to look forward to it. I mean, isn't this why we're here? Isn't this our great hope that we can keep the faith in any circumstance? And that's what brings God the most glory, regardless of the testing and suffering. So that's being a witness while we're being sanctified. And regarding 1 Timothy 6.12, maybe by the end of our lives, we will have many witnesses that can legitimately say about us, they kept the faith. That was wonderful. That was amazing. They kept the faith. It was awesome to watch. It even changed my life. It brought me to Christ. I mean, how awesome will that be? You might get through a certain sickness that you should have died. You might get through a certain accident or a certain um, attack on you. And you got through it with faith. And that, maybe, will be what people can say about you if you stay humble. So we're talking about big picture stuff, right? We have to constantly step back and see what God is trying to do as a whole. We get so myopic sometimes and we look at our little situation and we kind of panic or we get hyper-focused on that little situation and we don't step back and say, oh, why is this maybe happening? Who's watching right now? What people are watching that I can't see that are watching me? What angels are watching over my left shoulder right now? We, don't, we forget to step back and look at the whole picture. Why might this be happening? You know, why did Lydia's daughter, you know, have a little accident at the dinner the other day and suffer in that way? A few of us were actually talking about it. We're like, I wonder what God's going to do through that, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to say what we were, we were contemplating, but um, it's pretty funny. But, you, I mean, it could be multi- a multitude of things that come out of that type of situation for faith purposes, for forgiveness purposes, for grace, for different people that were there. Who knows? But to God be the glory, right? Isn't that the point? Whenever something happens, it's a privilege. So we're here for God's glory. Faith is the device that God equips believers with in order to bring glory to himself. We receive both the faith and the trials where it is tested by grace. They're both grace gifts. The faith and even the trials are grace gifts so that we can operate in faith, have the opportunity to do so, and to be a testimony. The Lord will provide whatever we need in our lives, including faith itself, to bring Him eternal glory if we remain humble. So it doesn't depend on us. See, that's where we need to relax. We think it depends on us. Only thing it depends on is our, our humility, really. Our bowing down before him and saying, I need your strength. That's the only thing it really depends on. If you are that truly humble, he's going to provide it for you. And it's going to be strength that you may not even know of. So again, to God's glory, without the trials... Faith remains untested and unconsummated. Without the faith, trials are either self-induced and or originating from one of our other enemies. But as we saw on Sunday in 1 Corinthians 10.13, Part B, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. As the Spirit brought out earlier, we've been predestined to go through certain things in our lives, all of which God's gentleness will make sure we can handle first. To the point on the board. 
Remember what David said and ask yourself, how could he say the things he said with all the testing and suffering he was allowed to go through? Now, again, look at the verse on the board. God, will, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted. He won't even allow you to go through it if you're not prepared, if you're not given the grace first. See, he can stop it any time. So that's a wonderful thing. But let's see what David, uh, David's attitude was in Psalm 18, verse 28. Go to Psalm 18, verse 28. He went through a lot, David. He was constantly attacked for years, even though he was God's man. How is he able to say these things? Verse 28. For you, talking to the Lord, you light my lamp. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. For by you I can run upon a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet. He sets me upon high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. And your right hand upholds me, and your gentleness makes me great. As you can see, David trusted the Lord, literally one step at a time. And David knew God would not give him more than he could handle. He actually trusted in God's gentleness, God's grace provision every single time. It's because God provided the grace for him first, every step he took, and he will do the same for us because he's faithful. Think about it. If you're faithful and you're perfect, that means you're faithful every time, right? If, if you can say, I won't allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you're able, you can pull that off because you're omnipotent. And God is gentle. So what do we have to worry about? be anxious about. He's going to provide the grace. He has to, by his own character, provide the grace to us before he asks us to go through a trial. So his faithfulness is really what takes us to sanctification. Right? Again, on the board, God is faithful. God is faithful. We tend to think, we have a tendency in our flesh to think it has something to do with us. But really, the only thing we're asked to do is have humility. Even to ask him for more faith. I mean, those are things that you can't, you know, you, you can't take credit for. He's like, that's your free will participating. But he does everything that's needed to accomplish the task. So the reality is, too, which came up on Sunday, if you're not being tested, or at least challenged in your soul, then something might be awry in your soul. It's just like we've talked about in the past. If you don't have a desire to follow the Lord, um, if you don't have a desire to stay away from sin, even though you do sin, if you don't have a desire to stay away from it, then something is probably awry in your soul. Something's not right. And that's when we need to check our heart on the matter. Well, it's the same again with being tested. If we're not being tested or we're not even being challenged in our soul, then something might be wrong. And that's when we might need to check our heart. But being tested is a good sign. If you're being tested for Christ's name in any way, that's a really good sign. Because that means you're on the right path. And God is asking you to go through certain trials. We also saw on Sunday that people can misjudge or mischaracterize the nature of testing. On the board, regarding poor witnessing. Most people characterize testing as anything that causes them personal discomfort. <laughs> it's really pretty funny if you think about it. I stubbed my toe. I'm suffering for Jesus. You know, I, Can you honestly say that's the reason you stubbed your toe? Or were you going somewhere you shouldn't have been going? Like We, we over 
uh, apply everything to spiritual reasons. This is grossly misrepresenting God's grace for so much of man's suffering is self-induced, if we're honest. Pastor gave an example on Sunday of a grown, capable man who finds himself financially strapped month after month, year after year, yet he's not willing to do things God's way, namely to work hard without complaining and coddling himself. And people will gladly ignore clearly stated theology in the Bible so they can stay stuck in their self-pity and live in excuses. But this is not an obedient man of God. Right? We're called to work hard, we saw on Sunday. And this would be an example of self-induced testing. If this describes your situation, but you're you know, capable of working and you have your health and all that. It's not an example of suffering unjustly for the name of Christ. Amen? Fair to say? So don't fall into poor witnessing. Claiming anything that's uncomfortable is suffering for Jesus. Many times it's self-induced. Let's just review this real quickly. Uh, go to Proverbs 10, verse 4. Regarding um, oftentimes a poor man making his own bed by being negligent and being lazy. lazy. Proverbs 10.4 Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Go to Proverbs 13.4 The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat, which means prosperous. Don't worry, ladies. Fat was a good thing back in the day. Go to Proverbs 21.5. Did nobody get that? Proverbs 21.5. Hey, if you were fat back in the day, man, you were rich. Everyone was like, man, you're fat. You eat good food. Seriously. And that's what happens in um, third world countries even these days. They, they admire being overweight. They're like, wow, you're blessed. Really? So, ladies, take that perspective and run with it. Relax. <laughs> Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. So, you know, the Bible's clear that God wants us to be diligent in our labors, whatever our labors are. And on the board in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men. It's really that simple. If you stick to that, you can't go wrong. A believer who doesn't work hard in time ends up being a poor witness to other people. And we have to ask ourselves, especially in, in our current American mockery that we live in, do we want to be that guy that's a poor witness? Do we want to live like the world encourage us, encourages us to live today? like cutting corners, cheating the system, maybe even living off the system when we're totally healthy and able to work. That's a poor witness for Christ. That's going to be wood, hay, and straw at the judgment seat. So from a practical point of view regarding poor witnessing, it actually hurts the name of Christ when someone can point to you and say you're lazy and you're a Christian at the same time. This is why, if God has given us the capability and the health, we should be a good example for Christ, working hard by faith. And trusting God for the results. In the big picture, we have a higher calling and purpose on our lives, even on our work. What a wonderful purpose to have as part of the righteous man living by faith. Work is part of your spiritual life. We've got to stop separating these things out, cornering them off. Okay, well, church stuff and, you know, whatever, helping people, that's my spiritual life. But my work stuff, I've got to get through that. There's maybe a reason that work takes up a lot of time. Maybe God wants us actually to apply spiritual things in work. Pretty crazy thought. Maybe that's a great testing ground. It is at times for anybody who has to work with other people with situations we attempted to cheat, 
and cut corners or be lazy. What a great test of faith. So bigger picture again we're talking about. We're talking about on Sunday working hard for others. We mustn't think of our hard work as merely being able to pay our own bills from month to month. That's like a short-sighted view. Rather, we must think bigger picture, understanding that we work for God who intends to use such fruit to the benefit of others. That's big picture. And that's why I capitalize the words uh, think on this point, because what's important is how we think about work. First, if you want to execute and do things and work God's way and in God's manner, first you've got to think properly about it, right? So we have to change our perspective about instead of thinking that we're paycheck to paycheck and getting through work, instead we should change our thinking that we're working for God and he wants fruit to come from it for the benefit of others. Different perspective. It's how we set our mind about work that's important. We must grab the right perspective, which is on the board. The Spirit is basically saying, work hard so you can give more. If we could actually summarize even the upcoming verse that you're going to see in a moment, work hard so you can give more for my purposes, for my glory. You want to have more to give? Maybe you need to actually work harder if God has enabled you to. So look on the board at Acts 20.35. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's interesting how Paul tied these two principles together. He said, I showed you, I showed you my own example that by working hard, you can help the weak. And remember what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So maybe, just maybe, God asks us to work hard so that we can give more. And a lot of good fruit comes from that. This is all part of being a good witness for Christ and part of our sanctification. So whether we're talking about finances, uh, especially in the giving realm, right? Whether we talk about giving finances or giving our time, or giving our energy to someone, or our compassion, whatever it is, it comes back to who we love. The love of Christ should be what motivates us to even work hard for God and not for ourselves. As the Lord said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that than one lay down his life for his friends. And he also said in Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Which one do you love? You don't have time in the day to work for both, God and money. You've got to make a choice. There's not enough time in the day to do it all that you think you can do it all. You know, have your thing on the side, right? Have your cake and eat it too. And here's God saying, I'm going to bless you. Will you stop working for yourself? Will you work for me and allow me to bless you out in all different ways? We cannot serve God in wealth. It's not possible. So regarding working hard for others, we have to choose whom we will serve, including in your daily work activities. I mean, this is a test for everybody. I, I don't know how it can't be. If you're working and you're earning money through your work, it's a test on what motivates you to, to work hard. Am I doing this for my own personal gain or, or even for accolades at work or whatever? Or am I working for God literally? He's my boss and I'm going to Work hard because he asked me to. And trust him for the results. Who will you end up being a witness for? It really is what it comes down to in your work life. Go to Joshua 24, verse 14. Joshua 24, 14. 
Will you work hard for God and others? Or will you work hard for yourself and your own personal gain? As we read this passage, when you, you see the phrase, other gods, substitute money in there. All right? As we read this passage, when you see the phrase, other gods, substitute money in there. Because for us, in our day and age and in our country, that's our big test that we make an idol out of. And the Lord said we cannot serve both. You have to make a choice. Look at verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose mist we passed. The Lord drove out from drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. What is Joshua saying? Why did Joshua just say that after they said, we're going to serve the Lord? Joshua is saying, this is a big decision. Don't make this a light, mocking decision. All right, yeah, we'll serve the Lord. It's not a half-hearted decision that can be made. It won't be accepted by God. And it reminds me of when Jesus was telling people about counting the cost of following him. He's like, this is not a half-hearted decision. I'm not asking you to condone what I do. I'm asking you to love me. And so Joshua's like, listen, you're not going to be able to serve God if you forsake, in verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and will obey his voice. It was quite a test and it was a big decision. But which one are we going to serve? When we're at work, for example, who are we serving? The Spirit stated from Scripture at the start of class, we suffer to be sanctified and we suffer to be his witnesses. And we must choose whom we will serve and be willing to experience suffering in the world when we choose him. Because that's what's going to happen. It's going to happen at work. It's going to happen with people that don't understand why you have to make certain decisions at work. Maybe integrity-wise. All right? They don't understand. And you're going to be persecuted for doing things God's way, even at work. But that's what happens if you choose the Lord. Don't be disturbed and don't be surprised. Expect it and rejoice in it. Go to Romans 5.3. We must choose whom we will serve and be willing to experience suffering from the world as part of that. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. 
and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So on the board regarding proven character, one of the reasons there's a glut of wimpy men in this world is because they choose not to persevere due to lack of faith. They give up on living in the faith. Their first response to tribulation is to point the finger at someone else. And this contradicts Scripture, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 16.13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. When we do this thing, when we obey these commands, proven character comes forth because you're persevering. You have to persevere by faith to do these things. And when you do that, fruit, fruit grows, fruit appears that others witness. And they see the love of God in you. They see so many different things in you. They see obedience. They see faith. They see things that they want that they don't have in their measly, worldly lives. All because you decided to go by faith and persevere and obey the verse on the board. So God loves perseverance, and he uses that to bring us to sanctification. But our free will is involved, and the righteous man will live by faith. The righteous man will choose to live by faith. And that's how he perseveres. And what is perseverance? By faith means by God, since he's the author and giver of faith. Therefore, anyone can persevere if they have true faith. Anybody, regardless of your handicaps, regardless of your intelligence, regardless of your physical strength, anybody can persevere. Because faith is a supernatural power given to the humble. Anyone can do it, even the faith of a child. I'm, I would say more, more the faith of a child. More that a child can operate in this perseverance than those who think they're mature and let that get in the way of childlike faith. God loves enabling the weak. God loves enabling anybody who's willing to give up and admit they're weak. And that's what brings them the most glory. And that's perseverance. And we saw also on Sunday, Romans 15:5a, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement God even provides both of these things. And when he provides faith, when we ask, even that is omnipotent. Even the faith he gives us is omnipotent, if you think about it, because it is in God. If you're handing something over to him, you're handing something over to the omnipotent one. And therefore, you have the victory. As we talked about earlier tonight, by faith, every battle is actually the Lord's. Because by faith, we hand it over to him, and he's already won. So faith is everything, really, in terms of living in and executing the plan of God. But that takes humility. So God is the source of all good things, as well, as we know. And apart from him, we can do nothing good. As we saw on Sunday, we discover the things of God often through prayer and even persistence in prayer. Romans 15, verse 5 and forward. Persistence in prayer produces the fruit of fellowship in the soul of man. God desires that we persist in going to the throne of grace in humility. The impetus for prayer fellowship is often a persistent need. Ain't that the truth? I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at prayer when I don't have a legitimate need in my face. We're, we're, we're weak. We're, we, we fall back on the flesh. We start doing our own thing. But the impetus for prayer fellowship is a persistent need. Therefore, 
It's by grace design that he ordains trials for us. It's a different perspective, isn't it? When's the last time you looked at your trial as a design of grace for you? As painful as it might be. That's the right perspective. Because without that, you're not going to get to the sanctified place he wants you to be at. To experience supernatural things and to show the world that his power trumps all. Without trials, we won't often turn to the Lord in humility. And we won't often pray. But when Paul faced death, for example, not only did he pray often, so did his people. I'm going to see that in a minute. So again, regarding prayer, trials provide an incentive and a need to go to God strong. They're a provision of God's grace. Trials provide an incentive and a need to go to God strong. As in Hebrews 4.16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of what? Need. Without the need, you're not going to go to God strong. Let's be honest. Not all the time, anyway. But thank God for the needs, because that's drawing us closer and closer to Him. And humility, being aggressive, we fall on Him hard. We lean on Him hard, often because of trials. And that, my friends, we might call a blessing in disguise, right? A trial that might be very difficult for you, but puts you in this place where you can honestly go to God strong. You have to go to God strong. That's a blessing in disguise. That's what he's using to sanctify you. If he lets you do your own thing in the world, that's not a very loving father, right? Letting you waste your life away, but he loves us so much, he's like, I'm going to give you something right now. You're going to thank me for it later. You're going to need this thing, and it's going to draw you closer to me, and you're going to be so glad in the end. And that's where we become real witnesses for God. And God commands that we persevere, by the way. So we know this principle. Grace, therefore, precedes fruit. It must precede fruit. God will always afford a believer the appropriate grace to accomplish a command. And this means that every command in the Bible is placed upon man in the presence and sufficiency of grace. Go to 2 Corinthians 12.9. Again, God will always afford a believer the appropriate grace to accomplish a command. This means that every command in the Bible is placed upon man in the presence and sufficiency of grace. 2 Corinthians 12.9 Paul said, He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul knew. Paul knew this was a grace provision even, his thorn in the flesh. On the board, Paul understood that power is perfected in weakness to the degree that he persistently fulfilled his mission in the face of obscene adversity even from those in his own flock. He knew it was a benefit to him to have the weaknesses he had. And he persisted by faith. And God provided each step of the way. Grace precedes fruit. It has to because God is faithful. And he will not allow you to even be tested beyond what you're able. Paul knew through all the adversity, and there was a lot of it, that God was using it to be at work in him. And we might say from a spiritual perspective, the weaker we are, the better. Now, this doesn't mean fake weakness or put God to the test by purposefully 
putting yourself in bad situations so you could be weak. That's not what it means. That's tempting God. We all know God will provide, won't he? He'll show us plenty of weaknesses. He'll put us through plenty of things that reveal our weaknesses. Especially when we think we're strong and we're doing, you know, we think we're something. So God will provide that wonderfully by grace at the right time. So we might say the weaker we are, the better. Because that allows us to rely and lean on God hard. And then we have divine power when we do that. And that's where true witness comes in. So it might be painful and discouraging at times, but that's exactly what the Lord will use to show or reveal His grace and power is with you. How about truly facing death? If you've ever had that in your lifetime, or let's say you experienced at least a, really, a truly dangerous situation where you could have died maybe, okay? Or you should have been seriously injured and you weren't, you know that was 100% God's grace letting you escape that, what seemed like an inescapable situation. So how much more now is your confidence built up, your hope in God? And your hope builds to perseverance. So God is working something in you and through you through adversity of all things. And let's take a look at one of, one of the examples of Paul's adversity where he actually faced death. Go to 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. There's actually a lot of passages we could go through, uh, go to, regarding Paul facing death. So if anyone knew God, God's grace is what spared him, it was Paul, because it happened over and over and over. He should have been dead many times. And what was that to Paul? An advantage. He knew God's grace was with him and he wouldn't go through anything he couldn't bear. And It wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. He knew because he was rescued and delivered so many times. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. Notice he's mentioned death a lot. Why does he say, so we would not trust in ourselves, but God who raises the dead? Because he was about to die. So he's like, I have to now, in this situation, trust God who raises the dead. And there's no other time that you're praying and hoping for resurrection than probably when you're facing death, right? And so that's what Paul was doing. He's like, I'm not going to trust myself. I can't right now. I'm literally facing death and I have no way out. But I'm going to trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. And then Paul tells of the power of prayer and how that is a witness to many. Look at verse 11. You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. This is in context of death, facing death. And he's like, your prayers, they did a lot. And some of us fear trials we're about to go through. Some of us fear what might be coming down the road. We fall into that trap, and we wonder if God's grace will be there for us. But we cannot buy that lie. That is your bad, evil roommate whispering in your ear, saying, you might not be ready for this, or God might not provide you the grace to go through that thing. Don't listen to the evil roommate. As Pastor and I had a recent conversation, we must be on the alert for and extinguish the fiery darts when they come. The Spirit encouraged him to alert me as one of your teachers to an increase in these fiery darts. And I pass that message on to you. Beware of fiery darts, which are mental attitudes that are projected at you. They come in your soul and they try to take hold of your soul. They try to get you distracted and get you to doubt and even get you to criticize those that love you. 
Remember this verse from earlier on the board? 1 Thessalonians 3.5 For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. As the latest blog shared, there's a land rush on your soul. Satan is trying to take over some of the territory of your soul. And don't think he isn't. And he's going to do that through fiery darts, thought projection, things that come into your soul and you're like, huh, I never thought of that. Where did that come from? And you know it's wrong, but you start entertaining it. You start playing with it, like a kid playing with a snake. What are you doing, right? Extinguish that. The Bible says extinguish the fiery darts. And I'm just warning you that these things are going to come. And they might be coming hard now. We must be on guard and watch, watch out for the lies that are projected at us and even in our own souls. We must beware of fiery darts that might be attacking your pastor or those in your church family or even the grace of God in your life. Such as doubting if God's going to provide enough grace for you to get through that thing coming up. That's a fiery dart. That's an evil thought that somebody, one of your enemies, projected at you. So extinguish them when they come, right away. Snuff them out, like pouring water on a lit match. Dismiss it immediately. Call out the lies for what they are. Don't entertain them like a foolish child. Recognize where they come from and dismiss them as the garbage they are. We are called in the Bible to stand firm. And that means to not be moved when temptations come our way. This is what Paul was concerned about in 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, I'm concerned that you're going to be tempted and led astray from the faith by buying lies. The Bible tells us over and over, stand firm. And that means don't be moved when temptations come. Extinguish them. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, and 1 Peter 5, 12. We don't have time tonight to go through these verses, but they are wonderful and powerful. And we're told over and over, stand firm. I hope you go home and look up these verses for yourself. Stand firm in the faith, we're told. Stand firm in His grace. What does that mean? It means you're going to have to stand firm. It means there's going to be a hurricane wind coming at you sometimes that wants to blow you back, and you have to stand firm because there are going to be attacks. There are going to be fiery darts that try to throw you off your game, that try to make you forget God's faithfulness. But by grace through faith, we can do all things. By grace through faith. And that requires that we are alert, we stand firm, and we lean on God with all our might at times. So thank God for the trials, because without those, we don't have His power. We don't rely on His power. And even standing firm, we have to just lean on Him for all we got. So we'll close on that note. hope you read those passages. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, your message from your Holy Spirit, calling us to be good witnesses, calling us to live in the light, calling us to beware and stand firm, help us to personalize these things to our own lives. Father, give us the wisdom and strength to walk by grace through faith one day at a time. And we thank you in advance for your grace provisions each and every time. We ask, Father, that you help us bring these truths out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you.
Before I lit my cares, I will.